Again, welcome to Freedom. It's good to have you here today, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're always glad to have you be a part of worship with us like this. We are today beginning a new series that uh, is going to carry us through the next couple of months. And if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be camped there for a couple of months. Uh, We're in a series that uh, is going to just focus on the very opening portion of Jesus' most famous sermon that he ever preached. You know, as a believer, if you were on some remote island and you could only have one passage of Scripture that would teach you how to live as a Christian, if you could only have three pages of the Bible around which you would build your life and how you're going to just live out the whole thing of being a Christian, if you only had access to just three chapters, the three that I would lay claim to are the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If in your quiet time you want to get back to the heart of the matter, you just spend the next month camped on those three chapters, just reading the Sermon on the Mount. It's rich. It is jam-packed. And it's all the words of Jesus. And it's interesting to note that as Jesus began this sermon, that he started with eight statements. They were all a little bit peculiar because, uh, in one sense... They each sounded like a sermon unto themselves, and it's what they're going to be for the next eight weeks for us. But this is just the the intro to this one teaching that Jesus did on the shores, uh, really a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And each of these statements, it's worth noting, all began with the same word. This is important for us because it says so much about the heart of God. It's that We refer to this as the Beatitudes, and each of these statements begins with what word is that? Blessed. Blessed are the. And he fills in the blank. Blessed are the. And eight different times. He starts out by saying uh, what we're going to talk about today. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Next week, blessed are those who mourn. Now, that word blessed, it gets thrown around a lot of different ways today, doesn't it? Somebody sneezes and we throw a a bless you at them. Uh, In the South, it's funny how we use the word uh, bless. Somebody does something really foolish. And in good southern speak, what do we say? Bless their heart. Which is southern for, they're so stupid. (laughs) But we sound more Christian when we say that, right? We'll we'll throw a a bless their heart or bless them at you. I used to have a friend who, every time she'd say or do something irritating, she'd follow it up by saying, I just want to be a blessing. You know, (laughs) we just love that word in the south. What, What on earth does it mean? Well, the word that Jesus used, makarios, means simply happy, fortunate, to be on the receiving end of God's favor in a way that just leaves you at a better place. It's the thing everybody wants, right? Everybody wants to be blessed. You want the favor of God. You want good fortune in your life with the result that you just end up at a happier place. Jesus says eight times as his opening word, you want to know what God says to you. And by the way, consider where this is positioned in the Gospels. If you're not real familiar with the landscape of Matthew, I'll just tell you, Matthew 1 through 4 simply sets the stage for Jesus to walk into the spotlight. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is starting to call his disciples. Matthew 3 and 4, he's been baptized, he's in the wilderness. At the end of Matthew 4, Jesus is just beginning to preach. As we turn the page to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus now steps out and we get the the first real message that we receive from Jesus. And what does he say? Blessed, blessed, blessed. What's the word from God? He wants to bless us. 
He wants to show us favor. He wants us to live lives of good fortune. That doesn't line up with how some of us were raised in church, does it? I mean, some of us went to the the first united church of the suffering saints. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can some of you identify with that? It's, oh, it's hard and bad here on earth. We just hope Jesus comes back this week because it's so bad. I look forward to Jesus coming back. But here's the reality. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he doesn't mean you've got to die in order to get there. He's saying you get to experience the wonderful realities of the kingdom here and now in this life where you enjoy the good fortune of having God as your father. Where you have the justice that God as a righteous judge brings. Where you enjoy the protection of God and the provision of God. And where you walk in the power and authority of being a son or a daughter of the king of kings. You get to live with those realities of the kingdom here and now. If you're poor in spirit. Now I will say, when you first peruse the Beatitudes, they're filled with all this good news. How God wants to bless us. But it's not all immediately apparent as to what this means, is it? I mean, wouldn't you agree that Jesus' openers are a couple of zingers? Blessed are the... And we're all going, oh, this is going to be good. Blessed, fortunate, happy. Happy are the who? Happy are the poor in spirit. That wasn't exactly what I expected it to be. I'm sure the next one's going to be better. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus, I'm not sure how this works. Happy are the poor. Happy are the sad. I'm not sure you've caught on to what happy's all about, Jesus. Are you with me? I mean, does this not feel like it's a little bit of a paradox? Happy are the poor. Happy are the sad. I'm thinking, no, Jesus. Happy are those who've got a lot of money in their pockets riding a wave runner today. I mean, isn't that who's really happy? Happy are the happy, not happy are the sad. And Jesus... Speaks a different word. Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, are those who mourn, are those who are meek, are those who are peacemakers. There's a deeper message. This is not one of those that is just lying right there on the surface that everybody's going to find it like a gold nugget laying on top of the ground. You're going to have to scratch around a little bit for this. Oh, there's gold here, there's absolute gold. But you're going to have to dig a little bit. Today we're going to dig in on this a bit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What on earth does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, I've given you in your outline, if you want to pull that out, four different translations of this opening verse of Jesus' sermon. I've given you the NIV where he uses the, they, they translate the phrase as poor in spirit. The New Living Translation says God blesses those who realize their need for him. Now we're getting warmer. That's a little more understandable. People who realize I need God in my life. God's Word uh, Translation says God blesses those who recognize that they are spiritually helpless. Now we're really dialing in. And the uh, contemporary English version said God blesses those who depend on only on him now we're really getting a picture aren't we when you roll those three together the poor in spirit are those people who realize i can't do this on my own i need god in my life because i'm really spiritually helpless and i'm going to have to depend completely on god if you've ever worked the recovery process this is starting to sound familiar those who've worked recovery understand 
There's a reason why Jesus started here because everybody who works through the recovery process has to start right here. And oh, by the way, it's not just alcoholics and addicts who need to work the recovery process. Every human being on planet Earth needs recovery. We all need recovery because we're all broken. And the beginning point for every broken person to ever recover starts with Matthew 5, 3. Learning to be poor in spirit. Recognizing your own desperate need for God. Recognizing your own total helplessness and inability to manage your life and your problems and to get to a better place. It starts with realizing, I can't do this. Only God can And I'm going to have to depend on His power. So if we want to get the feel of all of these rolled together, uh, Psalm uh, 146.5 sums it up well where it says, The Lord blesses everyone who trusts in Him and depends on Him. Everybody take out a pen and circle the two key words there. Trusts and depends. Let's say those two words together. Trusts and depends. Trust and depends. That's what poor in spirit is all about. I trust in God, but I don't just trust in Him. I depend on Him in every way. So, just as a beginning point, we can just define now. To be poor in spirit means that I humbly depend on God instead of myself. Simple enough? To be poor in spirit, that's a phrase that if you run out and use it on your job, nobody's going to have a clue what you're talking about, right? But we can understand the concept that in order for us to have a beginning point that really is going to define how we have to live the rest of our lives, but a beginning point of getting better and of getting to a place of being blessed, we have to trust in God and depend completely on Him in every way. Now, I love you. As your pastor, I care about you. And I truly want you to be happy and blessed. If you're not... If I'm not, it's not God's fault. He's already said over and over and over, He wants to bless us. But Jesus is laying out for us this roadmap of of the preconditions for being in a blessable place. You get that, don't you? you? You don't just get to live any way that you want to and enjoy the blessing of God. We all understand that. There are some conditions. And Jesus is just trying to help us understand, here's what you do to be in a blessable place. And you can be sure God's going to be true to His Word. If this is true of you, the blessing and favor of God will come upon you. And so the beginning point of receiving God's favor is we've got to be trusting and depending on Him. Now, it's easy to say that just in theory. Today we want to work that thing down to what does that look like in daily life? Well, pause for a second and consider where do you need to see God's blessings in your life? Do you want to have the blessing and favor of God on your marriage? I do. Do you want to have it on your studies if you're a student? Do you want to have His blessing and favor on your business, on your career, on your health, on your finances? It's that practical. So now we need to get practical about then how and where do I need to learn to depend on God? Now, I won't say that what I'm going to share today is an exhaustive covering of ways that we need to depend on God, but it's fairly close. We're going to talk about, going to talk about the five main areas that we need to depend on God. And I want you to just let this sort of be a, a checklist for you to ask yourself the question on each one, am I really depending on God in this area of my life? So 
as we think about these five, we're going to start with a big one. How do I learn to, to practice the idea of being poor in spirit and depending upon God? First of all, I have to depend on God's wisdom and not mine. In other words, I've got to come to a place of doing what God says to do instead of what I think would be the smart thing to do. I've got to listen for what he's saying and do it. Proverbs 14.12 is one of the best known verses in all the book of Proverbs. It says this, There is a path before each person that seems right. Everybody circle the word seems. That's the operative word there. A path that seems right, but it ends in death. Anybody ever been down a path that seemed right when you chose it? And you got a ways down that and went, Oh my goodness. I wish so badly I had taken a different road. Oh, I, I could spend the rest of our time today just scratching the surface of how many wrong paths I've taken. It seemed so right on the front end. I think about just early on, kind of the beginning of my adult life. I was 19 years old, and I'll tell you what seemed right to me. It seemed to me that I was a grown man. I was ready to live my life. And even though I was only just barely starting my college career, it seemed like a wise move to get married and start a family, even though I knew I had three years of college and four and a half years of grad school still ahead of me. But it seemed I was ready for it in my own mind. Now, the people who really knew me well and loved me and cared about me, my family said, No, that's not a wise move. But you see, I had it all figured out. And so I went full speed down that road. Got engaged, got married when I was 20 years old. Seemed like the thing to do. I bet I can support a family. Seemed like a good thing to just go ahead and start having kids. Just almost right after we got married. Seemed wise at the time. Boy, after about a year or two of that, it seemed like I had been run over by a steamroller. It's what it seemed like. It's what it felt like. As... Semester after semester passed and we got deeper and deeper in a financial hole, the more I realized that the people whose wise counsel I ignored because I saw a path that just seemed so right that those people were a lot smarter than I realized. Now, don't misread anything that I'm saying. I'm so grateful for the blessings that came through that season of my life and the children that God gave me. But I am willing to admit to you I jumped in before I was ready. I made unwise moves because I had it figured out. I knew what seemed right to me. And I went full speed. Nothing would hold me back. And the further that I went, the deeper I got into just bigger messes. I can remember when I was in divinity school. Boy, by that time, we were struggling financially big time. I'm going to school full time, working three jobs, just trying to figure out how to keep the power on and food on the table and babies fed. And I remember a a fellow seminary student who was another young pastor who told me he had had hit on something that was a great way to make a lot of money in a little bit of time. And man, did I need that because between full-time school and working two or three jobs all the time, I needed money. And he said, here's the answer. I sell water purifiers and make people's water taste delicious. And you can buy in and do this too. And the great thing is, if you'll buy in at a certain level where you invest $5,000, all these other people will sign in under you, and you'll make money off of everything that they sell. And to me, as a young man who had never heard the term pyramid scheme before, 
I thought, that seems like a good idea. Seems being the operative word again. Thankfully, by the grace of God, I didn't have $5,000 I could put my hands on. So I started trying to figure out how can I come up with $5,000 to invest in this wonderful new thing. As I'm trying to figure that out, I share with a close friend that God had brought into my life, a godly man who was 15 years older than me, and I tell him about this great new opportunity that had been put before me, and I was trying to come up with the money so I could invest the $5,000 and really make the big money. And he said, I want you to come with me. And he walked me out to his garage, and I'll never forget, he opened the door to his storage room, and I kid you not, stacked floor to ceiling was row after row of water purifiers. And he said, whatever you do, don't invest money in this company. I didn't buy in at the $5,000 level. I bought in at the $10,000 level. You can't sell these things to anybody. The, the deal isn't that the company's trying to sell them to individuals. They're trying to find suckers like you and me to invest 5000 or $10,000 so that they can wallpaper their house with water purifiers. Don't dare get into it. By the grace of God, I was saved from a path that seemed so right. I share my own follies, and I could go on and on and on. I share mine just to say, when you depend, when I depend on our own ability to figure it out, we'll get in such a bad place because there's a way that seems right, and then there's God's plan. I've heard Christians so many times say, well, the reason God gave us common sense is so we could figure things out for ourselves. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God didn't give you common sense so you could figure out how to live your life. God gave you good sense so that you could respond to wisdom and truth. And churches are filled with Christians who live their lives by their wits and by their gut feelings. I hear people all the time talking about, you've just got to trust your gut. I want to tell you, that'll get you in a bind. You trust your gut. I want to tell you about your gut. Your gut's full of groceries. Jesus is full of truth. Trust Jesus, not your gut. Your gut will tell you all kinds of things. My gut's led me down all kinds of bad paths. And yours has too. You can't trust your gut. Your gut's probably full of leftover pizza from last night watching the ball game. Your gut will lead you who knows where. Jesus is the only one who is full of truth. And we must depend on His wisdom. So if you want fewer dead ends, defeats, and losses in life, live by Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek Him in all that you do, and He will show you which path to take. So how do you do that? What does that look like in real practical terms? Two simple things. It really does boil down to this. Pray and read. Pray and read. Throughout the day, in little five and ten second arrow prayers, pray. Just moment by moment. As you encounter different situations. Oh Jesus, I'm fixing to go into a hard conversation. Please give me wisdom. What would you have me say? And then have a heart that's open to whatever he leads you in. I'm about to go take a test, Jesus. Please guide my thoughts, guide my my recall. We're about to go into the counselor, and I'm uptight about that. Jesus, would you be with me, and would you speak? Would you give wisdom? Help me to know what to say. Help me to know when not to speak. Just moment by moment through the week, through the day, arrow prayers, just in conversation. 
telling him what you need, being open to what he would say. Please give me wisdom. I mean, that, that is my most common prayer. I am over and over in the different situations that I encounter as I'm listening to people talk and they're looking to me to have all the answers as a pastor. Can I just tell you, pastors don't have all the answers. Only Jesus does. And that's why you always better have a pastor who depends on Jesus. And that's why you need not be offended. When you come to me for counseling, half the time you're talking, I'm praying. I'm listening to you. But I'm, I'm over and over saying, oh, Jesus, please give me wisdom. Please help me to hear the truth. Please help me to hear what you say about that. I'm listening to you, but I'm, I'm throwing up prayers as hard as I can go. Because what I, the last thing I want to do is give you my instinctive response. Because that's the last thing you need. My track record stinks. You don't need my wisdom. And we've got to live like that. Pray and read. What are we reading? We're reading God's Word. And here's the bottom line. If you're not in this book on a regular basis, I mean on a daily basis, you won't recognize the voice of God. You won't. Occasionally you will. Like a blind hog finding an acorn every now and then. But I mean, that's about as good as you'll do. If you're not reading the Word of God on a regular basis... You won't recognize the voice of God because His voice sounds like your voice. In your noggin it does. And you won't recognize your thoughts. You won't be able to discern them from, your, from His thoughts planted in your mind. That's why Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and active. And it, it's, able to, it's like a sword that's able to just dig into the deepest part of us and it separates the soul and spirit. The part of me where God speaks and the part of me where I just think. So that we can discern God's truth. Simple question. Are you taking a few minutes every day to read God's word? And are you calling out to him in prayer throughout the day? Asking for his wisdom. That's a pretty good start toward depending on God. James 1.5, a final word on the matter, says, Do any of you lack wisdom? Anybody lack wisdom in the room? I'm with you. Well, ask God for it. He is generous and enjoys giving to everyone. So he will give you wisdom. I don't know if there's any promise of the 7,000 or so promises in the Bible. I don't know if there's any promise I've ever tapped into and recited more times than James 1.5. Because I'm so desperately in need of wisdom all the time. And I'm just always running back to that one. Lord, you've promised me if we lack wisdom and ask for it, that you'll give it generously. I need it. It's a great verse to hold on to. So for starters... If we're going to be poor in spirit, we depend on God's wisdom. Secondly, we depend on God's strength, not our own. Have you ever noticed that the longer that you live, the more tired you get? Anybody else been bitten by that bug? You just get more tired. I think somewhere in your 30s, you crest the hill, don't you? You get to that point where, like, every day beyond, I don't know if it was 35 or 39 or what, somewhere along the way, you get on the other side of that hill, and it's like you've never got quite the energy that you used to have. You just get more tired. It just becomes a daily reminder that our strength is finite, isn't it? I mean, it, when you're young, you just think you could just go and go and go and never give out of gas. You get a little wear on the tires, and you start figuring out, no, there is a point where I am done. And you, that becomes a good reminder because you realize that what you need in your life is a strength beyond your own. Some of us are slow figuring that out because we think that we can accomplish all the big stuff in our own strength. Psalm 84.5, such a great word for us today. 
You bless, that's what this is all about, you bless all who depend on you for their strength. Sounds like Jesus talking, doesn't it? Isaiah 40, 31, one of the most beloved passages in the Old Testament says this. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Everybody say, new strength. They'll find new strength, not their own. They'll be strong like eagles, soaring upward on wings. They'll walk and run without getting tired. You know, this is a critical issue in a couple of different types of areas of life. On the one hand, we'll run into situations that are just bigger than us. You run into a problem in your marriage. Or you go through a divorce. Or a bankruptcy or a foreclosure or the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one. You know, the the big, really painful stuff that you're not just going to shake it off in a day. So, on the one hand, we've got those kinds of, of big issues that you've got to decide. Are you going to muscle your way through it? Are you going to do it in your own strength? Or are you going to depend on God's strength for every moment of the time? So there's, there's that set of issues. And then on the other hand, we've got other big issues that are more personal. They aren't things that happen to us. They are things going on in us. We've got all these issues where, you know, maybe, maybe I struggle with a, a dependency on alcohol. And I've just gotten to the point that I, I use it every day and I need it to get through the day. Or maybe I'm, I'm that way about pill, about you know, using pills, or, or maybe um, my brokenness is in relationships, and I always get in unhealthy relationships, or if I get in a good relationship, I take it to an unhealthy place, and they always turn sexual, and, you know, maybe I'm at a place of a sexual addiction, or, or maybe a porn addiction, or, I mean, we could just go on and on. Maybe the thing that, that tangles you up is, is smoking, and it's killing you, and that's the thing that you want to break, or maybe it's food, and, and that's the big stronghold in your life, and, and every day it just eats you alive, the struggle with the scale, and the struggle with what goes in your mouth, whatever it is. I mean, we could make a long list of those kinds of things, but you understand the other category, the big issues that didn't happen to us, they're our issues, they're our brokenness. They each invite the same question. Whose strength are you going to depend on to deal with that thing? Because I would dare guess that for most of us, somehow it's either wired into us or it's conveyed to us that you need to suck it up. You need to deal with it and you need to get over it. And you need to do that before you come to God. Now nobody ever stands on a platform and says it out loud, but somehow that's getting conveyed in life, isn't it? I mean, somehow it's in our DNA, especially men in the South. Well, you just need to be a big old boy and you know put your big boy pants on and just deal with this thing. Whatever your hang-up is, you need to stop it. You need to get over it and live like you ought to live. And whatever your pain is, well, you just need to get over it and move on with your life. And the implication of that is do it in your own strength. And when we do that, we forfeit the grace of God. We forfeit the help of God. You see, that's pride talking. I can do this. I can manage this. Remember what the Word says. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. You know what the humble do? The humble say, God, I can't do it. I can't fix this. I've tried a thousand times. I've promised you countless times. So many times, I, don't, I won't even promise you again that I'm never going to do that because I probably will break that promise before the week is out. 
God, I don't have the strength to do this. I don't have the strength to get through this. So today, or for the next hour, or however long you can get your head around, I'm just going to completely depend on your strength. And if you don't come through, then we're, we're just sunk here. Whose strength do you depend on? Because the poor in spirit depend on God's strength, moment by moment. Now I want to give you a memory verse for the day. It's a great memory verse. Because we need to be reminded of these realities. Uh, two that I'm going to suggest to you. The first one's for everybody and the second one's for a more select group. The first one, you'll see it in your outline. It's Psalm 71:16. It's simply this. I walk in the strength of the Lord. I want you to say that together with me. I walk in the strength of the Lord. Again, I walk in the strength of the Lord. One more time. I walk in the strength of the Lord. I want you to hold on to that. I want you to write it on a card somewhere. I want you to rehearse that again and again until it is your second nature. So that when you run into a difficult situation that's outside of you, that you may not be able to manage... I want you to start quoting that verse. I don't have to manage it. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to overcome it. I walk in the strength of the Lord. This week, when you run into a challenging situation at work, before you start to get tangled up about it, I want you to just start quoting, I walk in the strength of the Lord. When your mind starts going to unhealthy places and your heart starts feeling drawn toward whatever it is, it may be that second big plate of fried food that's your hang-up or whatever it is. If it's being drawn toward you know, some type of temptation and you're feeling like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it through today, I want you to just begin to rehearse in your mind, I'll walk in the strength of the Lord. When we begin to, in faith, Claim what God's word says, power's unleashed. So watch what happens. One more verse. And this is a memory verse for those of us who are on the north side of whatever that peak number is that's the sort of the top of the hill. Those of us who are closer to the end than we are to the beginning of our lives. Psalm seventy three twenty six says this Maybe my mind and my body will become weak, but God is the source of my strength and he is mine forever. Somebody say Amen. That's good news, isn't it? It is just an acknowledgement. This earth suit, it is going to wear out. I'm starting to feel a little wear and tear. It is going to wear out. I acknowledge it. But the Lord is the strength of my life, and He is mine forever. That is good news. That is shouting good news. Some of you in the room, you've been feeling worn out. You've been feeling depressed and discouraged. I want to remind you... Regardless of what your body is feeling, regardless of what it looks like or what it weighs, the Lord is the strength of your life, and He is yours forever, and He isn't leaving you. He's not going to quit on you. He's going to continue working in you until He finishes what He set out to do. That's the promise of His Word. Philippians 1.7 Good news. Walk in His strength, not your own. Many of you probably recognize the name Hudson Taylor. He is one of the fathers of the modern mission movement. He was a giant of the faith. I mean, truly, a man of God, brilliant man. In the 1800s, he was a missionary to China, where he served for many years. And near the very end of his life, he's a very old man, he wrote a letter to a friend expressing what was going on in his life as he got to the very, very end. 
And he said this. This is a, a quote, small passage from his letter. I am so weak, I can no longer do work. I am so weak, I can no longer study. I'm so weak, I can no longer study my Bible. I cannot even pray. I can only lie still in the arms of God like a little child in trust. But that's enough. That thought freaks us out, and yet there's a wonderful comfort in that realization. God didn't call you because of all the work that you could do for Him. He called you because He loved you. And it's always been His intention to supply you with everything that you'll need. Hudson Taylor got to a point in his life, he could no longer serve the Lord. He could no longer even do the spiritual disciplines. All he could do was just basically take the next breath. And yet he found such great peace in realizing God has been the strength of my life when I've stood and preached to many and led so many to faith in Christ. And God is still the strength of my life at the very end when I can just barely take the next breath. The Lord is our strength. The third way that we depend on Him, and this is a doozy, I depend on God's timing and not mine. Everybody look at your neighbor, look him in the eye, and say, you better listen up because he's probably talking to you. Go ahead, go ahead. You got their attention? All right, everybody needed to hear that because we all need this. Timing is critical in so many different areas. You know, you, you watch sports, timing is critical. For, for a quarterback, for a pitcher, for a hitter, timing is so important. For a musician, timing is critically important. You ever find mus- a band where one of the musicians isn't good at timing? You'll know it. Timing's important in a lot of areas in life. And timing is a big deal for us. The Bible makes it clear that there are a lot of different seasons of life. And one of the seasons that we'll experience over and over is the season of waiting. That's a hard season, isn't it? We spend a lot of, of our lives in God's waiting room. Psalm 31, 14 and 15 says this, But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? I've been there a lot of times. God, need this to happen, and we need it today, definitely by the end of this week. I mean, you may not say it that way, but you've thought it a bunch of times when you prayed, haven't you? We are in a rush. We need this ASAP, God. Please put this in your high-priority box. And it feels like God doesn't have a high-priority box. Because when we're in a hurry, oftentimes He's not. He's eternal. Everything in our culture says, get it quick. Do it fast. God is definitely not the author of fast food and fast living, is he? I mean, he just has a different pace in how he does things. It's important for us to realize the truth of Ecclesiastes 3.11. Somebody in the room, today, this is the one verse you needed to hear. God does everything at just the right time. Let's say that one again. God does everything at just the right time. I just got to tell you the truth. I've spent a lot of my life struggling to decide for sure if I even believe that. Now, it's easy to say, I believe every word of this book. I do. And I read this book and I read lines like that and I go, really? Because there have been some times I think God missed on the timing. No, in truth, God does everything at just the right time. I just don't like the fact that sometimes I have to wait for God's timing. 
And it's important to realize a couple of key things when we're having to wait. And one of them is this. While you're waiting, God is working. Always. You're going to have to remind yourself of this because when we're having to wait, those are the moments when we're going, see, God doesn't care. God does not give a rip what a bind I'm in. He doesn't care about the pain I'm in. He doesn't care about the financial pressure that I'm facing. God doesn't care what I'm facing. See, I prayed and prayed and I believed Him and I told Him I needed this soon and nothing. So He must not care. And you have to remember, while you're waiting, God is always working. God is working on the bigger picture. God is working on a solution. And God is working on you. Because God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a difficulty. And in the middle of us going, come on God, we need you to fix this now. This is a chance for you to flex your muscle. I'll have bigger faith if you'll come through today. And God's going, yeah, I'm, I'm going to build bigger faith in you. But it may not be the way you're thinking. While you're waiting, God is working. And another key piece to remember in this is a delay is not a denial. Many, many times God doesn't do it when we ask for it. But the fact that he didn't do it right when you asked for it doesn't mean that he denied your request. Don't confuse a a delay for being a denial. Another great passage, Isaiah 60, 22 says this, I am the Lord, and when it is time, I will make these things happen quickly. Man, there's just peace in knowing that, isn't there? Again, I, I just believe that's a word for somebody here today. Somebody who has just been wondering if God's listening and wondering if God's caring. And God is saying to you today, I'm the Lord and I'm telling you when it's time, I will make these things happen. And when the time comes, I'll make them happen quickly. It's just getting to that moment's the hard part. Isn't it crazy how many times it feels like that, though? You're waiting and waiting and it's just never going to come. And then suddenly it's like, oh my goodness, now it's all here. If you've ever been through the adoption process, you know what that feels like. You wait for months or years and you think we're never going to get a child. And then you get a phone call and it's like, there's a child. Will you be ready to receive him in two days? <gasps> I thought we were never going to get it. And now, no, we're not ready. This whole building process, it's been like giving birth to a child, like giving birth to an elephant. You know what I mean? We've spent years. Year, I mean, some of you have been around long enough. You know the whole story. Don't take me wrong, but it's the truth. We never wanted to be here. We didn't. I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but when we looked at all the places that were available, this was the last rung of the ladder. I'm talking about this building. We prioritized it all, and it was like, and if we can't get into any of these others, we could always go to that place on Friendship Road if we have to. We got down to the last rung of the ladder. Okay, Jesus, we'll take the last one, the only one we can afford. Surely we'll only be there a year or two. In case you hadn't been watching, it's been five and a half years. We've been praying. We've been looking. We've been expecting. We've been believing. We've been about to lose our minds at times. Two other churches planted in this very facility. And on this very spot, they both died. Yeah, that felt a little heavy for a church planter. It's like, two others have come here, two others died. Somewhere along these five and a half years, I've thought, if we don't get out of this place, we're going to die right behind them. Been trusting God, praying, seeking. I have looked at more buildings, prayed over more things. It just felt like it would never come. When we finally found the right building, there was no way it was going to happen. There wasn't any way it was going to happen in our strength and our resources. It was going to cost way, way, way too much. And God said, that's okay. 
at just the right time, I'm going to make it available to you. I'm going to have to shave a little bit of it off so that what's left is then affordable. But they're going to have to sit on it unrented for a couple of years before they'll drop their price almost 50%. So then you'll be able to afford it. And while we're going, he's not answering. Is he ever going to give us an opportunity? He's going, hey, I'm working this thing down for you to make it manageable and affordable. We wait, wait, we wait for the city. We wait for the architects. We've waited, we waited, we waited. And now, honestly, it feels like after all this waiting, I'm talking to Tony this week about what all's coming, and he describes the next month. And I'm like, we're not ready, Tony. That's too much to do. We've got to move in in five or six weeks. Been waiting all this time, and God said, hey, I just pulled the trigger. Get going. There's a lot left to do all of a sudden, isn't there? God's timing is always right. One final word I'll say about this. It's not in your notes. You may need to write this thought down. God gives his best to those who wait. God gives his best to those who wait. Now, here's the critical piece that I don't want you to miss about this. If you depend on God's timing, you have to realize there's going to be a lot of different times when you have to wait. And the enemy knows how much we hate this, and so he seeks to exploit it. And on the big stuff... When God has called you to something, he's put something in your heart, and you're having to wait for it. You know what the enemy will consistently seek to do? He'll offer you a substitute. He'll offer you a knockoff version before God's opportunity comes along. God puts it in your heart that he wants to to bring a man or a woman into your life. You've been longing for a mate and now something's really stirred up and you're feeling like, I have this overwhelming desire to to find somebody and to get married. And God's now stirring this thing up and it's like stronger than it's ever been. And so suddenly you're just like a bird dog who's got the scent. You know, I mean, you're on the hunt. And you know what? God was the one who stirred that up. And guess who's probably going to offer you something before God brings the right person in your life? The one who's a liar and a thief. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to offer you somebody that, what was the operative word on the first thought? Someone who seems like the perfect person. Oh, they seem lovely. They seem to make you feel so good. And six months into it, you're going to feel like you stepped into a bear trap. Because if you don't trust in God's wisdom and God's timing, you'll settle for a substitute. And I want to tell you that substitute... It doesn't come close to the real thing. There are so many of us who in life have settled for substitutes on jobs and relationships and investments. God had something better, but we didn't wait for it. God gives his best to those who wait. Fourth truth, fourth test of this. I depend on God's defense, not my own. I depend on God's protection. It is a fact of life that people will always misunderstand you. There will always be people who imagine the worst about you. We wish that we lived in a world that was always just. And we're, if you're doing the right thing, everybody's going to appreciate it. That is not the world that we live in. There are going to be people who attack you unjustly. There are going to be people who say things about you that aren't true. And that's just life. How are you going to respond to that? Well, a person who is poor in spirit trusts in God to protect and defend them rather than defending themselves. There's no no more direct way to live out the truth of of being poor in spirit than to decide I'm not going to, to defend myself. I'm going to trust God to have my back. Peter said of Jesus in 1 Peter 2.23, People insulted Christ, 
but he didn't insult them in return. Christ suffered, but he did not threaten. He let God alone, who judges rightly, take care of him. You know, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was put through seven different mock trials with both the the Jews and the Gentiles. And he wouldn't defend himself. They made all manner of accusation against him. He wouldn't defend himself. He let his track record and his character speak for itself. That is so hard to do, isn't it? I mean, when somebody insults you, when somebody says something that's untrue about you, we want to go out there and straighten them out and straighten the world out on that, don't we? Those who are poor in spirit trust God to have their back. I'll tell you, there there are none of these five that I feel like I've been more tested in than this one. There's nothing like being a pastor in a relatively small community where everybody knows everybody. To go through divorce and not stand up and tell the story and all of the gossip that follows, all of the stories that get told, everybody's got some version of what must have been the real story. And in the middle of all that, the real question was just this. Will you, Mark, defend yourself or will you let God be your defender? It is so tempting in every situation to want to go in and straighten people out. Yeah, let me tell you the real story. We all get put in these kinds of situations. They may not be on the the scale of what mine was a few years ago, but we all get put in these situations where the, the bottom line question is really simple. Do you trust God to have your back and be your protector, or do you always have to speak up and defend yourself? Those who are poor in spirit choose to hold their tongue and let God do the protecting. And you need to know, the more you become involved in what God's doing, and the more effective you become in influencing others, the more you're going to become a target. The more people are going to talk about you. Absolutely. Psalm 2.12 says this, The Lord blesses and protects everyone who runs to Him. And you're going to have to consciously, actively choose to do this. God, I want so bad to lash back out. I want so badly to hurt the person who's hurt me or who's talked about me. But I choose to run to you. Psalm 62, 5-7 is a good thing to, to just go back and rehearse to yourself. It says, I must calm down and turn to God. That's a good beginning in that moment, isn't it? Because right now... I want to go off on them. I don't want to sound Christian. I want to say what I'm feeling. No, I must calm down and turn to God. He is my only hope. He is my rock, the only one who can save me. He is my high place of safety where no army can defeat me. Don't miss this line. My victory and my honor come from God. That's worth remembering. My victory and my honor come from God. They don't come from me defending my reputation. They come from God fifth and final test of am I poor in spirit is do I depend on God's wealth instead of my own I don't know if there's any area of life that we stress over more than finances I know in marriage this is the number one cause for divorce is stress caused over worry about finances we fret and worry so much about this because we want a security that can't be found in money the fact of the matter is this. If you put your security in a bank account, you'll always be insecure, period. Don't care who you are and don't care how much you have in the bank. You can't find security in that. Not security that lasts. To change that, you've got to put your security in a different place. And Philippians 4.19 becomes a great suggestion of where that can be. 
Paul said, my God will use his glorious riches to give you everything you need. Let's say that phrase together. Everything you need. And he will do this through Jesus Christ. One of the basic things that we need to get, and I think especially for men in the room, is that my job is my channel. My job may be my channel for receiving blessing. But God is the source of my supply. He may use my job a lot of times to supply me, but it's just the channel of how he does that. He's the ultimate source. I want you to consider this as a final illustration here for what we're talking about. Imagine that you go home from church today, and you go in the kitchen, or you go in the bathroom, and you turn on the faucet, and nothing comes out. What's your response in that moment? It's aggravating, isn't it? I mean, it's like, ah... I can't believe the water's turned off. But have you ever walked into that situation and turned the faucet, nothing comes out, and you just despaired in that moment? Said, oh, that's it. I've known all my life this day was coming. There's no more water. Water on earth has run out. We will never again see water come from the spigot. What shall we do? Nobody would do that. We'd look at you and say, bless your heart. (laughs) We know there's going to be water again. If you turn the knob and there's no water coming out, it just means you either didn't pay the water bill or there's just been a break somewhere up the way. They're having to work on it. They're having to flush the lines. It may be a few minutes. It may be a few hours. But water's coming back through there. I mean, how do you know that? You've just lived long enough before you even make the phone call. I mean, if you've lived long enough, you've had days when your water was turned off, haven't you? They're working on something. Something's gone wrong. Something's broken. That's okay. There's going to be more water come out one day. Friends, it's not any different with God and His supply for you. There are going to be moments when, financially speaking, you turn the faucet that you've always turned and nothing comes out. And for a lot of us, that means a job that you used to have isn't your job. Or it's not paying the way it used to pay. Maybe you're in sales and you've always been able to sell and now nothing's selling. I'm turning it and nothing's coming out. And in that moment, we're so tempted to be the bless your heart fool that goes, there's never going to be anything come out again. I bet God's forgotten about us. He'll never supply again. I bet we're going to lose the house. We're going to lose our cars. We're going to be in poverty forever. And the person of faith looks at that and goes, why would you think that? The thought of God running out of money is like thinking that earth would ever run out of water. The last time I checked, three quarters of the planet was covered in the stuff. We're afraid the ice caps are going to melt and we're all going to be covered in water. I want to tell you that's how abundant God's supply is. If anything, we're dealing with financial global warming. God's got so much, He may just run us over with it all. I mean, that's how abundant His supply is. Why would we ever think, Oh my goodness, I'm never going to have enough. If you depend on God as your supply instead of your job, you'll never have to stress. Because God will liquidate whatever He has to to make sure that those who live in the kingdom have access to the king's riches. Now, would you agree that's five pretty good tests of whether or not we're living poor in spirit? Okay, I want you to do one last thing with me. Everybody get that outline out in front of you. 
I want you to just do a little exercise with me. Take a pen, or if you're just afraid somebody's going to look at you, you can do it in your head. I want you, we're going to quickly run through these five, and I want you to put either a plus, meaning, okay, I think I'm actually doing that the way that I should, or a minus, meaning, ooh, I've got to work on this, as we think through these five. Are you depending on God for your wisdom? Or do you just try and figure it out on your own? First good litmus test for that. Am I spending a little time reading God's word each day? And am I calling out to God in prayer throughout the day? Are you trusting God for his wisdom? Are you depending on God's strength or your own? Are you trying to fix your stuff and fix your problems? Or are you looking to God in those things? Plus or minus. Are you depending on God's timing or your own? Are you getting impatient? Are you beginning to question God's love for you and His faithfulness? Plus or minus. Fourth, are you trusting God for your protection, for your defense? Or do you, are you quick to defend yourself? And then finally, do you depend on yourself and your job and your income and your account for your security about your finances? Or do you find your security in God? Now, I said early on that what we're talking about today is always the beginning point for making progress. Now, there are some in the room, some who are watching and listening online, that the truth of the matter is the whole concept of faith is still an uncertain proposition. It's like, I don't, I don't know if I want to step into that. I want to tell you, the beginning point for getting there is this truth. Being poor in spirit coming to a place of realizing we can't fix ourselves we can't save ourselves we are lost and undone without the grace and the power of God no matter where you are every single person under the sound of my voice we need to buy into this idea of being poor in spirit trusting in God depending on God depending on God for your salvation depending on God for your financial provision for your protection for his timing for wisdom, for strength. We do that in a simple response of faith. Would you join me as we bow together and open our hearts up to the Lord right now. Father, you know where we are. You know the pluses and minuses across the board. You know where we're not trusting you and we're not depending on you. And so we just pause right now and we confess that as sin. We realize we've missed your grace in those areas and we ask you now to forgive that we acknowledge our deep dependence on you why don't you just in the quietness of this moment in your own heart just acknowledge that to God maybe that you need to say God I realize I'm lost without you and I need you to forgive me and save me and I've got to depend on you to do all of that It may be that there's a particular area of your life that's just chaos. It's not what it needs to be. And you just need to admit that to God and say, God, I am so hopeless without you here. And I'm just choosing today to trust you and depend on you. And I have not been doing that. Lord, we just with one voice say, we trust in you. Today, we choose to trust your timing. We trust you to protect us. We trust you to provide for us. We trust you to give wisdom and strength. And we ask for that in simple faith in Jesus' name. Amen.